Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Well, we're going to continue our series, and what we've been doing is we've been in this eight-week journey walking through the life of Joseph. Now, if you're here today, I don't know who Joseph is. Joseph is uh, a character in the Bible found in the very first book of the Bible's name in Genesis. And Joseph's story kind of goes something like this. I'm going to kind of bring you up to speed. Just one little note. Uh, Vince, you can take me out of this monitor, brother. Thanks, man. It's got a little bit of a ring to it. So uh, well, how it started is many, uh, Joseph was about 17 years old, and um, he was a young boy. He was the youngest of 11 boys, and he was his dad's favorite kid. 17 years old, his dad gave him this beautiful coat of colors, hence the incredible graphic that our friend Brittany made for us, uh, the, the coat of uh, many colors, and he gave him this coat to basically say to all the brothers, listen, this guy's my favorite. And now that might cause a little bit of family animosity. And so Joseph was kind of the odd man out. He was kind of the guy that none of the family liked. None of the brothers really enjoyed him. Never the brothers really liked him. Uh, so much so that when one day Joseph's dad sent him on a mission to go out and find his brothers in the field as they were shepherds and says, go and bring me back a report. And a far, from far away, they could see Joseph wearing this stupid, colorful jacket that he always wore all the time. And they thought, man, I don't like this guy. I don't like this dreamer. Let's kill him. And the reason they called him a dreamer was because Joseph had this dream. He had this dream and, from God. And the, the dream he had was of his, 11, his 10 older brothers and his mom and his dad bowing down before him. And then he thought it'd be a good idea to go and tell his brothers, hey guys, guess what? I had this dream and all of you in this dream, I was standing up and all of you were bowed down before me. And they said, oh, that's a ridiculous dream. You think we're going to bow down before you? No way. You're the youngest brother. You're that entitled little punk. Well, come on, we don't like you very much. And so from far away, they saw this little skinny dreamer wearing that colorful coat and they said, let's kill that kid. And so as the kid arrived, as Joseph arrived to his brothers, they took him and they threw him into a deep pit. And they were going to kill him. Actually, it says in the scripture very clearly, they threw him into a deep pit and then they had lunch. So they weren't really feeling badly about that. They're sitting around eating their bologna sandwiches and Joseph is crying out for help and they just try to ignore the sound, the bleeding sound of their annoying little brother yelling at them as they plot his demise. And then one of the brothers had a good idea and said, hey, let's not kill him. That's not great. He was going to save him later. Let's not kill him. Let's just do this. And then finally, they had a really brilliant idea. Let's sell this kid into slavery. So they sold Joseph into human trafficking. He was sold into to be a slave. He was taken down to Egypt. And he was standing on the block where they put all the slaves. And they come and they fill them. And they fill their faces, you know, and they grab their arms. And they move them around. Come on, I want you to flex. And Joseph flexes. Like, okay, all right. And he's like, all right, show me how you do this. And show me how you do that. Okay, you're a perfect fit. I'll take this one. And so Potiphar, who worked for Pharaoh, who was the chief executioner, so when Pharaoh wanted someone's head to get cut off, you know, off with their head, he called Potiphar. This is who hired Joseph. And so Joseph ended up in Potiphar's house. And uh, he was also the captain of all the, 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 the army amongst Pharaoh's guards. And one day, uh, Potiphar's wife took a, a liking to Joseph because he was a good-looking young man. And uh, he was single and he was young. And she just thought, man, he's pretty cute. So she took an eye for him. Oh, he's pretty good. He's pretty attractive. I like this guy. So one day, 
She planned it all out. She got Joseph all by himself. And she tried repeated times, Joseph, just come and sleep with me. Just come and sleep with me, Joseph. Just come and be with me. I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Just come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. Joseph kept saying, no, 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 no. Until finally, she planned it all out. Got him all by himself. She came on to him, tried to, tried to get him to have sex with her. And he ran away out the door. And she grabbed his coat on the way out. And when Potiphar showed up at the house, he says, what's that? Oh, this is Joseph's coat. He tried to rape me. You should have seen him. He came in here. He threw himself on me. I pushed him off me and grabbed his coat. And Potiphar, I'm surprised he just cut his head off because that's what he did for a living. Instead, he said, throw this guy in the jail. And so Joseph got thrown into the prison. And Joseph, up to this point, has done nothing wrong. So now he's in prison. He sat there for two years until finally the chief baker and the, uh, the chief uh, cupbearer and the baker both had a, um, they both had a, a dream. God gave Joseph the ability to interpret that dream. So he interpreted the dream for them. And exactly what Joseph said happened just a few days later. But they forgot about Joseph in the jail, and he stayed there for two more years. So at this point, it's 13 years where Joseph was thrown into a pit for no reason, sold into slavery for no reason, thrown into jail, accused of rape, and never had an opportunity to vindicate himself for absolutely no reason. Now he interprets a dream, forgotten about, 13 years later, sitting in the prison wondering, God, what is going on? I just want to serve you. I just want to live my life for you. Why am I in this prison? And finally, one day, Pharaoh, the president, the prime minister, the queen, the king, had a dream. He said, I have a dream. And the chief cupbearer came back to him. Oh, yeah, there's a guy in prison two years ago who interpreted the dream that I had, and it came to pass. He said, go get him. So in a matter of an hour, in a matter of 60 minutes, Joseph went from being in the prison for four years, no one knew about him in the darkest recesses of this prison, to being shaven, clothed well, and taken into the, 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 the court of the king, standing face to face with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh looks at him and says, I have a dream. I want you to interpret it. And Joseph says, listen, I don't have the power to interpret the dream, but my God does. And so he interpreted this dream for Pharaoh. And the dream went something like this. I won't tell you the dream. I'll tell you the interpretation. He said you had two dreams. The first dream means that you're going to have seven years of, of great prosperity in your crops. And then you're going to have seven years of famine. Now, you need to find a man who's full of the Spirit of God. He's being a little, he's being a little uh, cunning in, in this moment. Hey, you need to find a guy, looks something like me, who uh, has a Spirit of God in him, who can kind of help you figure this thing out. And so he looks at uh, Joseph and says, Oh, okay, you look good. You got the part. You look like you know what you're doing. You know what? I'm going to make you second in command of the entire nation of Egypt. In a matter of a day, in a matter of two hours, three hours, Joseph went from a forgotten nobody to standing in the palace, second in command, so much so that when he went down in his chariot down the middle of the city, people would have to get down on one knee and shout, second in command, second in command. In a matter of moments, Joseph went from the prison to the palace. And now, we have a moment where Joseph is leading Egypt through this prosperity, and now we're two years into the famine. So we're nine years into this journey of the, of the dream being fulfilled, and all of a sudden, Joseph's living his life. He's living a lavish life. God's blessed him uh, abundantly. He has a wife, and he has children, and he has this beautiful mansion in this home because he's second in command. God's just blessing his socks off, just blowing on his life and blowing on his heart and blessing him and blessing him. And one day, these 11 boys, show up at his door. They ring on the doorbell. Bing, bong. Servants walk up. Hello. Hi. Um, we're out of food. 
my father Jacob sent me here. We were told to come and talk to you, like uh, the guy named, uh, and they have a, a Egyptian name that I forgot, so I won't even try. But this guy named, and yeah, that guy, you know, he's um, he's inside there. Like, you know, can we talk to him? Okay, goes and gets him. Hey, Joseph, uh, there's some people here to see you. Okay, he walks out, and he's just a nice guy. Hey, and he looks it out, and he sees it's his eleven brothers. How would you feel if for 14 years of your life you were sitting in a stinking prison for absolutely no reason because of these jerks? Maybe you've had people in your life that have caused you friction or caused problems or mistreated you. Maybe it was a dad when you were younger who was mean to you or abused you or wasn't present with you. Maybe it was a mom who abandoned you. Maybe it was an uncle or an aunt or a friend along your journey tried to shut you down when you had a dream for God and a purpose for God. They spoke death to you. They spoke hurt to you and pain to you. I know every person in this room who's lived more than a week has had experienced some sort of relational friction in their life And Joseph was now faced with the biggest challenge of all on this journey to look his his accusers, to look the ones who hurt him in the face and choose what he's going to do next. Joseph chose to treat them cruelly for a moment. And what he did was, is he just started talking poorly to them. He says, you guys are spies. You're just trying to come and figure out what's going on in in my palace. That's exactly what you're trying to do. No, 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 we're not spies. We're just... Regular people need food. No, no, you're a spy. No, I'm not a spy. What are you talking about? What makes you look like a spy? You're a spy. I can see it. You're a spy. You look like a spy. You're wearing the stinking glasses and that hat, the, the, that hab, the haberdasher. Is that called haberdasher? No, it's called a, what's the hat called? Fedora. Haberdasher. Oh, that's a guy who does suits. Yeah. I was close. The guy who puts the haberdasher or hat, whatever. Fedora, whatever. Whew. Walks in, you're a spy. No, I'm not a spy. I'm not a spy. So finally he says, you know what? You're a spy. And then he finds out that his youngest brother, he has a younger brother. Joseph's got a younger brother named Benjamin. And he finds this out. He wants to get Benjamin to the palace. So he says, okay, I want you to go home, bring back your youngest brother, and then we'll talk about getting you some food. He sends some food on the way, but they come back, they bring Benjamin. And then what they do is on their way back, so they came back, the family came back, he meets Benjamin, they cry, they have a good time. On their way back, Joseph put a little uh, item in Benjamin's, uh, uh, his, his bag so that when they looked in it, it would look like Benjamin stole something from him. So that way, Benjamin is taken in custody, brought back to the palace. The brothers are freaking out. Oh my gosh, this can't happen again. My dad's going to lose his life if he finds out. He's going to lose another son. Like, this can't happen. The other one was lost to a wild animal. Like, like something went bad, and it was a bad tragedy, and it hurt my father. This can't happen again. Please, 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 let us have our brother back. No, your brother's staying with me. Go back to your father. And Joseph, at this moment, was, was trying to reconcile with his brothers, but he wanted so badly to see his youngest brother, Benjamin. So finally, the brothers go home. Jacob, Joseph's dad, almost loses his life. The brothers come back again. And this is where we're going to start our story today. He comes back again, and they begin to plead. At this point, Joseph's kind of run them through the ringer a little bit. He's kind of given them a challenge to face. They've experienced hardship a little bit. He's kind of given them a hard time. He's kind of flexed his authority a little bit. And finally, it's kind of catching up with him. Finally, he begins to realize, okay, i got to move on. i got to get past this. i got to move beyond it. So we're going to read our scripture today in Genesis chapter 45. And what we're going to talk about today is I'm going to give you, I believe, five different ideas or perspectives about God's purpose for your life. So let's read the scripture together, and then we'll talk about it. Genesis 45, 1 to 8. Joseph could not stand it any longer. Brothers are standing in his presence. Brothers are now freaking out because they want Benjamin back. Father's going to die. Joseph couldn't stand it any longer. 
there were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out of, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. He broke down and he wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I'm Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt, but don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged this land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. I don't know if you caught it, but there seems to be a little bit of a theme in what Joseph is saying. He says, God sent me here. God sent me to the palace. God sent me to this place. God sent me to this season. God sent me here. After all these years of, of, of 13 years, uh, 20 years, 30 years of experiencing the pit and, and experiencing the prison and being wrongfully accused of raping a woman and thrown into jail and now standing at the palace watching my brothers lie to me, never once asking for forgiveness, never once asking to reconcile, never once acknowledging their wrong, never once taking ownership for the wrong things they did, my assessment of the the entire situation is that God had a purpose for my life. That no matter what I experienced in my life, the hardships I faced, the challenges in my ministry, the hardship in my marriage, the difficulty in my job, the, 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 the ailments in my body, that no matter what season I faced in my life, I look back at my journey and my assessment of my situation is it wasn't you that brought me here. It wasn't my, my, my bad dad that brought me here. It wasn't the loss of my job that brought me here. It wasn't the difficulty that brought me here. God had a purpose through it all. You might look at your life right now and you might be stuck in the prison. You might be in Potiphar's house. You might be wrongfully accused. You might be in a situation in your life where you look at your future and say, God, I just want to get to the palace. I just want to fulfill God's purpose for my life. I just want to be something for myself. I want to make a difference on this planet. When am I going to get there? Just wait. God's got a purpose. No matter what you're facing right now in your life, he's got a purpose. And I'm going to give you five things and they're very, very simple. So the first one is this. Believe that you have a purpose. <laughs> the reason I want to start with this is you think, oh, that's pretty simple. Well, the problem is most people don't even believe it. Most people look at their lives and the situation they're facing, and the question often is, what is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Why was I created? Why am I on this planet? Why am I in this situation? Why am I in this crummy marriage? Why am I in this terrible job? Why do I feel like I'm stuck? Why, 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 why? The first thing you have to come to the conclusion of, you have to believe that God has a purpose for your life. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. You know that God has a design for your life? That God has a purpose for your life? You know what? Actually, I went out to the store today and bought this, this item here, and I, I just thought maybe you could help me figure out what it is. You know, I thought about this today, and I thought, okay. I was thinking we could do a ring toss, maybe. A little bit of a ring toss. 
I was at a pastor's retreat and we played cornhole and they were making fun of Canada the whole time. And guess what? I represented. I took, I took the gold home. This could be a, like a hummingbird, like water pot, you know. But you all know that the designer, the manufacturer, I don't know why I chose a plunger, by the way. The manufacturer of this plunger had a design. My son uses this a lot. <laughs> He's still trying to figure out the balance, the ratio between toilet paper. Ten squares, son, not twenty. The designer used this when he created it. He had a purpose. He had a design. You can't use this in baseball. You can't use this as a, uh, as a, as a steering wheel. You know, you can't use it and any other reason other than one thing, to plunge your toilet. <laughs> that was the purpose of your, of not your life, <laughs> the purpose of this object. See, it had a purpose. And you have to understand something, that every single person in this room, whether you know God or don't, whether you are call yourself a Christian or you are non-religious and don't go to church, listen, I have news for you today. God has a specific purpose for your life. In fact, look at the scripture in Psalms 139, verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed and under seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life, let that sink in, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How about this one in Colossians 1.16? For in him, for in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Look at this. All things have been created through him. All things have been created for him. So in order for you to be able to stand in your situation that you're facing right now and look at it from a, a clear perspective, you have to first understand, okay, I know I don't understand what's going on, but I believe God has a purpose for my life. No matter the difficulty you're facing, God has a purpose for your life. The second thing we can learn about purpose today is that it's important that you discover your gift, discover your purpose and your direction. You say, right, how do I do that? Well, I want to read a scripture to you that if those of you who are in the room who are, are, are believers or followers of God, you'll understand this. For those of you, maybe you're not, you'll say, okay, what does this mean? I'm going to walk you through. The Bible actually teaches us that each of us have been given certain wirings and certain giftings that we actually can help develop our purpose. Look at the scripture in Romans 12. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, so it is with the church, so it is with those who are followers of God. Really, so it is with people. We're many parts of one body and all, we all belong to each other and in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, which means just you basically motivate people by speaking God's word to them, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, Serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. 
If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If it's God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. He talks about seven different things. The first is a motivator. Maybe you like to motivate people. Maybe when, when you're in a room, you just feel like, man, I just want to encourage people, just motivate them towards a goal or towards an objective. I, I want to get that done. Maybe you're just like a, a motivator. Maybe that's kind of how you've been wired. Or maybe you're a servant. You're the kind of person that when dinner's done, your natural reaction is to go around the table and collect all the plates and, hey, can I get you more drink? Or, hey, can I come early and help serve? Or, hey, can I do this or wash your car for you? You just have a, a servant's heart. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe every time you sit down, you have books in your room. Or maybe every time you sit down and you want to do a little a message or a sermon or communicate to your kids in your classroom, you have an acronym. And it's a really long acronym. And it's words. And it's like, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, whatever, just long words on the left and long words on the right. And it's just like, I was trying to, I was going to say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, but it just wouldn't come out my brain. That would have been a long one. But you're a teacher. And you just, that's just how you work. You just organize like that. Maybe you're an encourager. Maybe when someone comes to you and says, man, I lost my job today, you look at them and say, hey, guess what? You're going to get a better one. Someone comes to you and says, man, my house burned down today. And you'll say, you know what? It's okay. It was an old house. Maybe someone comes to you today and they're just feeling discouraged. And you just look at them and say, hey, guess what? God's got better stuff for you. You're an encourager. You just want to encourage people. Maybe you're a giver and you just love providing people. Someone comes up to you and says, man, I'm struggling with my rent. And they say, oh, here you go. Here's some money for rent. You just love to give. You just love, you're a giver financially. You just love to give. Maybe you're an administrator. I love these people. I bet you Joseph, when he was an administrator, I bet you that pit was just so organized. You go in your room and it's like color-coded. You're OCD. It's like James is OCD. Look at these cords. It's like, bro, you got a problem. Like, oh, like I move this over, James is going to like start twitching here soon. You have like an administrative gift. Or maybe you're a sympathizer that when someone tells you their story, you're just like, oh, man, I want to help you so bad. These are all the different kind of gifts to recognize. Man, what is my gifting? What's, how do I discover some of these gifts? And how do I begin to move forward in those gifts? Joseph's gift was leadership. And if you read about Joseph, Joseph was in Potiphar's house. And very quickly, he got promoted right to the very most important person in Potiphar's house because he had the gift of leadership when he was in the prison. Immediately, it says the warden made him the top of the prison because he just had a leadership gift. He moved out in that gift. But you have to understand something about your purpose and about the purposes of God for your life. They are always to help people. They are never to serve your own interests. God's purpose for your life is always about serving other people. It's always about helping other people. It's always about expanding and pushing people's life forward. When God gives you the resources, you're the conduit to help other people in their life. That is the purpose of your purpose. The purpose of your purpose is not only to bring fulfillment for your life. It's not only to bring joy. It's not only to bring satisfaction. The main reason God gives you a purpose is that you can do things great for other people people. So often we get stuck in our purpose because we say, man, I want to figure out my purpose. But often that question is more about your happiness and less about how I can help people. If you shift your perspective of God, how can I help more people? Then you'll begin to understand more clearly what God is calling you to do because it's not just about you. It's about how to help other people. The third one here today, the third one is this. Determine your direction and be faithful. So 
But first, you've got to understand God's got a purpose for your life. Second thing you understand is that God you, gives you natural wirings and giftings, and sometimes you receive a, a, a prayer from a, someone who knows God, and they'll pray a thought over you and say, hey, I believe this about you, whatever it might be for you, but there's giftings. Each of us have these giftings and wirings. So discover what that is, and now determine the direction you're going to go with that and just be faithful in everything that you do. You say, Ryan, how do I know the specifics of my purpose? How do I know like the very nuances and the details you got to start doing something about it. you got to start doing it. If you're a servant, start serving. If you're a motivator, start motivating. If, you're, if you have the gift of prophecy, start prophesying. If you're a teacher, start teaching. Start doing these things. Start doing these things. And you'll find, naturally, you'll begin to get farther and farther down your journey of life doing the things that you love to do rather than the things you have to do. You'll not just live for a paycheck. You'll live for the pleasure of of being to figure out this is what I love to do. That's where you find the joy and the happiness in your life is when you can discover those wirings and just start doing them wherever you are. Do those things. There's an old um, preacher. His name is John Wesley. He was the founder of the Methodist movement. I thought this was kind of interesting. If you look at his journal, this man felt like he was called to talk about God to people. He wanted to tell people about Jesus. He was one of the greatest fathers of our faith in the 18th century. He was a theologian. And let's just look at his journal for a minute. Look what he said. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached in St. Anne's, asked not to come back anymore. (laughs) Sunday night, May 5th, preached in St. John's, deacons told me to get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. <laughs> Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. Or, that what it says, yeah. Deacons called special meeting and, I, and said that I couldn't return. Sunday night, May 19th, preached in street. Kicked off street. <laughs> Sunday morning, May 26th, preached to the preacher in the meadow. Ran out of the meadow because a bull was let loose during service. <laughs> Sunday morning, June 2nd, preached on the edge of town. Kicked off the highway. Sunday, June 2nd. Preaching a pastor, 10,000 people came to hear me. See, we often think that we need to wait for the moment till we get that promotion. I need to wait till I'm the palace. I'm in prison right now. I'm not going to do nothing. I'm just going to sit here and wait for something to move on. No, you got to start doing something about it. you got to start serving at the job you're at. You hate your job? Start serving someone there, and you'll start loving it. If you've got the motivation gift, finding people to motivate. Come on, let's motivate. Let's motivate this, this person over here. Come on, let's do a job. Come on, let's do it. Come on, encourage people. Serve people. Just start to do these natural things in your life, the things that God's given you right where you're at right now, in the moment you're at, and one day 10,000 people are going to show up and you'll be like, whoa, what happened? You're just doing what you're doing. You've got your, discovered your purpose. You discovered your gifting. You're moving forward and you're staying faithful in that journey. You have to understand that God has a specific purpose for every one of your lives. He wants to give you clear direction on what it is. And when you get that, you need to start doing something about it. Don't just sit on your butt and watch life go by waiting for your big break. That's foolish living. Live the most out of your life right now where you are. Give it your all. Give it your everything. Give it 100%. Enjoy every moment. Enjoy every second because one day you're going to step into this palace and realize, oh my gosh, all of that season, 14 years, 13 years of my life was about this one moment. Don't waste it. Get that direction and be faithful in it. Number four. It's a big one. Understand that God is in control. In order for you to get to your destiny and to achieve your purpose, you're going to face some hardships and some struggles. 
You're going to face some challenges. You're going to face physical, could face physical problems, relational problems. You could face career struggles. You could have children problems, marriage problems, financial problems. Those things are just life. As I'm a follower of Jesus, and as a follower of Jesus, never once in my life have I believed life's not going to be trouble. And if anyone here who thinks being a Christian means you're not going to have trouble, or maybe you're going to say, I'm not really a Christian, does that mean all my troubles go away? Oh, Lord, no, do they not go away. But now we have a God who can help us through them. We can recognize that, whoa, God's in control. I don't understand why this happened. You know, my wife had been on a, a house purchase journey, and this is seriously frivolous compared to some of your problems, so don't think I'm comparing them. But we just are excited to buy a house. First house we may, maybe be able to purchase in like eight years, right? We haven't owned a home. We've had some, we went through foreclosure. We went through bankruptcy. We went through all sorts of terrible things through the pit, through the prison. <laughs> and now we're in a season where Lord just like opened these doors out of nowhere. Put an offer on our first house. We're so excited. Something fell through. Oh. Second house, put an offer in. This is it. God, this is it. Someone called me, gave me a word. This is God for you, man. This is God. The whole thing fell through. <laughs> God, I thought you were in control, man. No, it's just a house. Yeah. I could live in a shed for all I care. Yeah. You got to remember something. God is in control. He knows exactly where you're at. You say, God, my body, I've been sick in my body for so long. What's going on? Do you hate me? Are you punishing me? No, 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 no. Trust me. There is a palace waiting for you, and this is just a season. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging to be in that marriage struggle. I know it's hard to be in that financial situation. I know it's difficult. I know the challenges of life can be hard, but just remember that your God is in control. That's why I love being a follower of Jesus, because without him, I got nowhere to look. I got nothing to turn to. When I'm a follower of Jesus, I can put my hope and my faith in a God who's in control of my life. I can trust that no matter what I face in my life, God has a purpose for my life. Look at Joseph here in Genesis 45.5. And now, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God was in control. Genesis 47, 7 to 8. God sent me ahead of you. God is in control to preserve for you a remnant earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God, he was in control. He's in control. Look at this, Romans 8, 28. Famous verse. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Look at this one, Isaiah 55. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water them. They cause the grain to grow and producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Let's recap. So when the rain and snow comes down from the heavens, it causes there to be fruit. It causes there to be growth. It causes there to be, to be all the harvest will, will succeed. And now Jesus says, okay, now my word is the same. I send it out. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to do and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Look at this one. This is the big one. Philippians 2.13. God is working in you. I want everyone just for a moment just to put their eyes on the screen and read those four words. God is working in you. Five words. Four words. Five. Thank you. I'm not very good at math. For God is working in you. God is working in you. Ryan, this marriage problem's too big. God is working in you. 
Man, Ryan, the sickness is too large. God's working in you. God's working in you. Man, I, I don't know what to do next with my life. God's working in you. God's working in you. God's in control. God's in working. What is he doing? What's he working in you? Giving you the desire and the power to do what? What pleases him. He's behind it all. There's a man that you might know. He's from the States. At 22, he failed at business. At 23, he was defeated for the legislator in, in politics. 24, he failed at business again. At 26, his wife died. 27, he had a nervous breakdown. 29, he was defeated for Speaker of the House. 31, he was defeated for elector. 34, he was defeated for Congress. 39, he was defeated for Congress again. At 46, he was defeated for Senate. At 47, he was defeated for Vice President. At 49, he was defeated for Senate again. And at 51, Abraham Lincoln became the President of the United States. Abraham Lincoln was the, was, was the president when the U.S. went through the only civil war the country ever had. If he would have become president or senate or anything else prior to that, he maybe had not been at that moment, in that place, at that time, to navigate that country through that uh, tumultuous season. God had a purpose. He was in control, knowing that failure after failure after failure after death after failure after failure was all a part of the plan to say, I know it's hard. I know. Just hang on. My purposes are there. I'm in control. We're almost there. Come on. I know. Keep serving. Come on. Keep giving. Keep doing it. Until this moment came, he came into presidency, a civil war breakout, and he was the one to abolish slavery in the United States. God had a purpose for this man, but he had to go through all these difficult seasons to get there. God's in control. Lastly, here today. I'm sorry, not lastly. You've got two more. This is a big one, and the last one's short, trust me. Your purpose will require forgiveness. It's a big one. Something I personally learned in my life. I can say today that... I, I don't think there's a single person on the planet that I know of that's offended at me because I did a lot of hard work to go find the people who had offense with me and make it right. Pastors and people at churches that we've been through, I've had to personally call them and I've had a face-to-face -face with them and said, if I've done anything to offend you, please forgive me. Vice versa, they come back to me, reconciliation. Reconciliation, I think, is one of the biggest keys to you fulfilling your purpose. If you've got someone in your life that you're holding a grievance against, whether it's a husband or a wife or, like I mentioned, a father or mother, uncle, aunt, friend, where you have this bitterness and resentment in your heart, I want to tell you something today as a follower of Jesus, that Jesus Christ enables you to forgive like you never could forgive. And it's actually a key to you experiencing what God has for your life. Matthew 6.12 says this, and forgive our, give us our sins, it's called the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our sins, Jesus says, as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. I want you to know it's a really important word, as. So here Jesus is saying, listen, as you've been forgiven, so you should forgive. As you've been forgiven. See, Jesus comes and he pardons all of your sin. I had a conversation with some people a week ago, and they said, Ryan, I've just, these are some of the things that I've done in my life. These are way too big for God to forgive. And I said, oh, you're mistaken. God's grace and forgiveness is bigger than you can ever imagine. His love is unconditional. He covers a multitude of sin. No matter what you have done, God pardons you. 
That word forgive in that verse, the Greek idea, is like to take a pot and to drop it on the floor, to let it go and watch it shatter. He says, as you have been forgiven by God, as Jesus has forgiven you, as far as the east is from the west, he's removed all iniquity and transgression from you, as all your sin has been made whiter than snow. In the eyes of God, you sit here today as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who's confessed him as the Lord of your life. You actually stand in the eyes of God, not as a sinner, but as one who is righteous, one who is right before God. He doesn't see your sin. He sees his son and his daughter. And in the same way that you've been forgiven, the Bible says, you should forgive. I want to say this because I know in my own life I've experienced this freedom, that if you want to begin to experience a fresh joy, peace, and fulfillment in your life, you've got to forgive the people who've hurt you, just like Jesus has forgiven you. And I'm going to say it strong because that's what I do. I would actually beg to say that if you don't do that, you're going to be stuck for a really long time. You're going to find yourself in life struggling, angry, frustrated, upset. Man, I thought God loved me. God does love you. I thought, God, why is God punishing me? He's not punishing you. Our perspective of God shifts when we have unforgiveness in our heart. We begin to see God through an angry God or upset God or a punishing God when in reality, he just lavishes his love and he cares for us unconditionally. And when we fall away from him and we stray away and we don't want to serve him anymore and we fall away, guess what? All we have to do is come back to him and he's already waiting with arms wide open saying, hey, son, daughter, I've always loved you. I've never stopped loving you. I care for you. I come into my home. Come be a part of my family. Come be a part of what God's doing here. Come be a part of it. In the same way that God does that for you, he wants us to do that for others. And that is one of the keys for you experiencing everything God has for you. In this verse, he gives us several different things that God does for us. And the only thing in that verse that we have responsibility to do in all of that Lord's prayer is forgive. So fifth, or six, I'm sorry, six. I don't even know how many points I have. <laughs> Number six, and the band can come up. Your purpose will bring fulfillment. This is an exciting one because most people in this room, I would bet, I think I just read a statistic that 87% of people who are followers of Jesus are Christians. Their biggest question is, what is my purpose in life? And this journey that we're on brings you to the place where you can recognize that, guess what? It brings great fulfillment to serve God and to watch him fulfill his purposes through our life. We're gonna end on this last verse and then, and then I just wanna pray with you. Ephesians chapter one, verse 11 to 12. Look at this. I hope you can really process this verse today. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. So who are we and why am I on this planet? Well, guess where you can find that out? In Jesus. He brings a definition to your life that nothing else can. A career won't do it. That, that, that addictive substance won't do it. That relationship won't do it. That, that endeavor for ministry overseas won't do it. Nothing does it like a relationship with Jesus Christ.
Look what it says. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for long before we first heard of Christ, long before we ever even heard about him and got our hopes up. He actually had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. His design on you is what? Glorious living. Fulfillment. Satisfaction. Joy. Come on, how many of us could use a great dose of joy to smile again and laugh again and smell the flowers and love this beautiful smoke we have? How many of us could use a fresh dose of joy and peace and love and fulfillment and satisfaction in our life where we wake up in the day and we're not feeling anxious and overwhelmed? I want to tell you today from a person who has experienced it myself that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, I just pray, Lord, for the, the many hands that are raised about this very thing. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ right now, Lord, by first prayers, Lord, for a fresh dose of hope. Lord, that they would have hope to believe that the situation they're in right now is not the end. It's not over. It's not done. Lord, they might feel dead. They might feel down. But today, God, we speak life. We speak life to this situation. And I pray even right now, God, for all the clutter. Lord, all that confusion, all the clutter, all, all the, 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 the confusion about what to do and where to go. I pray for clarity right now. I pray for wisdom right now. I pray that, God, that they would find even this week that the dust has settled, that the clouds have gone away, and that they're able to focus on you, God, once again. Today, God, we just give you the glory. We give you the praise today, God. And for those people today, I pray you would just begin to turn their heart. Lord, work in them. Give them the desire and the power to do what pleases you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Come on, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.